welcome to episode 37 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. Cameron's here. It's Sunday, yes. December 6th. Cameron's barking in the background. <laughs> Cameron is fired up for the Pittsburgh Bowl. It is Sunday, December 6th, 2015. Uh, I am very happy to be joining you once again this week. My name is Sam Klein. Uh, I am joined as always. I'm calling you, by the way, from Denver, Colorado, as is usually the case, uh, unless I am, you know, elsewhere. Uh, this week, I have my normal cohort um, from Atlanta, Georgia. I have Jason Evans. Jason and Cameron. Jason and Cameron and whatever other members of the Evans clan are wandering through the room at the time to contain Cameron. And then right. I also have <laughs> from my son. My son is watching Family Guy. So, oh, OK, uh, he will contain Cameron for us. Good for him. And from Washington, D.C., we have Donald Wine. Hey, what's up? It's just me here, so there's no other wine clan here. It's just and, me. And, I, and I've been to the, the wine residence, and so I, I can envision exactly what he's, where Donald is right now. And it's, it's a very peaceful zone. Um, so is, is like, It's a nice little chi that I have going around here. Yes, it, he, he has brilliant chi. Um, so hey, we're yo, gonna, but, hey, the wine residence is a great name for a restaurant. Well, it's also the the name of my home, so you couldn't right. You couldn't <laughs> enough, you couldn't Sam said it, and I kind of went, "Oh, that sounds like a cool restaurant name." You couldn't fit enough tables in Donald's apartment to make it worthwhile. You <laughs> couldn't, um, couldn't fit a table in my apartment. We have my apartment. We have the bed. We have the door. That's pretty much it. It's uh, it's it's lovely. Uh, I just don't know if you could if you could commercialize that thing. Um, so we were going to talk about Duke sports, which means this week that we're going to really talk about Indiana sports. Um, so do you guys want to talk about the basketball game that Duke already played against Indiana, or do you want to talk about the football game that Duke is going to play against Indiana in a couple of weeks? Basketball. Football. Basketball. Oh, right. basketball, it's the, too. It's the, Duke, <laughs> right. it's the Duke Basketball Report podcast. I did I love that on football. purpose. I, don't, I, did I, that I, on I, I don't say that because I don't out. love football. I can't ever figure out if people would rather us talk about basketball first or talk about football first. Um, so we're just going to keep doing whatever the heck we want. And if you have thoughts about it, you can comment uh, on the thread about this post that's going to go up. It'll be in the DBR forum. Uh, leave your thoughts and comments and whatever else in there. Uh, that's that's my plug for that, and I'm doing it much earlier in the episode than I normally would. Let's start with basketball, though. Um, Duke had a pretty productive week in basketball, starting with a victory, both uh, victories in Cameron Indoor Stadium. Wednesday night was a, uh, a late blowout against Indiana, 94-74 in the uh, ACC Big Ten Challenge. The ACC unfortunately lost the challenge overall, which has become an, a, a, a sad recurring theme for the conference that I think is the best conference in, in the country, but maybe I'm wrong. So, uh, but Duke, Duke played their part very well. The non-conference home winning streak was extended to like 6 billion. And uh, so let's, let's get into that game first. There was also a game against Buffalo yesterday afternoon in the midst of, of uh, football championship games. Uh, but we'll, let's focus on Indiana. So, Donald, I'll start with you. What were your impressions from that game? How did the uh, how did the game play out relative to what you were expecting? Well, first of all, hi, Brandon Ingram. Welcome to the season. That was awesome. Uh, I think he played uh, exceptional uh, against Indiana. He was really motivated off the start to try and get involved in the offense, and I thought that he was able to do that brilliantly. He actually went 10 for 15 from the floor, ended up with 24 points, and – Really, his three-point making uh, was really the catalyst for uh, getting us on a hot start off of the block. So uh, I thought he did really well. On the other side, I also thought that uh, uh, Grayson Allen uh, did pretty well, as well as um, uh, Matt Jones. Matt Jones was awesome against Indiana, and he really did everything on both offense and defense. And, and that's what really helped us pull away in the second half. It was kind of – it was one of those games where – it was comfortable, but towards the end of the first half, I kind of felt that Indiana went on a run, and it kind of made it closer than the the play actually indicated. Uh, but in the second half, we we kind of just went on this huge run, our patented Duke run that we've seen in years past, and Indiana just could not respond, and that was that. So um, those are two guys I wanted to highlight. I think uh, every you know, I think it was a you know really. Uh, well-rounded performance uh, on both sides of the floor. We, we shot 53% from the floor. Um, and, you know, Indiana at times was really struggling to find some offense, especially with uh, some of their good players like Yogi Ferrell um, still trying to get points. We still were able to shut down the rest of the team. So I think that was a, a really good performance. 
Yeah, I don't think that Indiana had an especially bad offensive performance. I mean, they yeah. scored 75 points, and they were, they were not, you know, inefficient. But Duke's offense just was, was clicking so well that it, even if Indiana was playing a slightly above-average offensive game, it wasn't even going to come close to how Duke was playing. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that, that kind of summarizes that part of it. Jason, what were your takeaways from the Indiana game? Donald mentioned lots of the guys that were, uh, you know, obvious to talk about. The one other guy that we have to talk about is Emil Jefferson, who mm-hmm. almost had a triple-double. I mean, the dude had eight assists. He had 11 rebounds. He only scored eight points. But, you know, point scoring is not something that we that we really count on Emil to do all that much. Although, when we get to talking about the Buffalo game, Emil was awesome, especially in the second half uh, against Buffalo in terms of scoring points. But r- regardless, I mean, Emil Jefferson is giving this team everything it needs uh, – you know, it's clear that Grayson Allen is the MVP of the team, but boy, I think you could you could almost make an argument for Emil Jefferson's point. I, I just never imagined he'd play as well as he's been playing. Um, I thought he was fabulous against Indiana. His effort, the the energy he expended rebounding, um, uh, 11 rebounds is a great number, but it, boy, it felt like it was more like 20. And I think Indiana thought, that Emil Jefferson was going to get every single offensive rebound. If Duke missed the shot, it felt like Emil Jefferson was going to get the rebound um, or get his hands on it, keep it alive or do something like that. Um, I thought he was amazing. He was remarkable in this game. A couple other things I want to mention really quickly about it. Um, Again, you guys mentioned Yogi Ferrell. Duke usually, I feel like, has trouble with really quick point guards, really quick guards who like the ball in their hands and they get into the lane, they get lots of assists, they get lots of baskets. Those are the kind of guys who usually give Duke fits. I love that we really, and and Yogi Ferrell is as good as anyone in the country at that kind of thing. And I love that we really contained him nicely. He was not able to really get Indiana going as much as they sometimes do. 74 points, you guys pointed out, it's a decent total, but Indiana is a really, really potent offensive team. Um, And they would probably figure to beat Duke, they would need to get significantly more than that. And obviously they didn't. Um, I love seeing Brandon Ingram um, confound and confuse even guys who are legit like NBA prospects with his length. Um, It's like opposing players, opposing teams can't figure out what to do with Brandon Ingram because he's so long. Um, there were a couple plays where I thought Ingram was going to sort of pull up and, uh, you know, a little short of the rim and maybe take a little jump or something like that. And his arm just kept on going. <laughs> it kept on extending and he ended up with finger roll layups out of them. Uh, I, I think we need to start calling him Plastic Man or Mr. Fantastic or something like that because it, it, it's amazing how long that guy is. Um, and, you know, a little hidden stat from the game that probably a lot of people didn't notice Duke only committed six turnovers in a game that was pretty fast-paced, a game, you know, up and down against a team that is every bit capable of, you know, putting some pressure on you and and making you play with pace and has the same kind of athletes. This is not, you know, Indiana is not like playing some of the teams we played early in the season where they really physically and skill-wise they can't match up with us. Indiana is, you know, a legit team. We only committed six turnovers. That's just a great number. I'm really impressed with that. Uh, guys, you got anything else on this game? Yeah, I, I was actually going to tell you in the middle of that to feel free to add in your thoughts about Buffalo. I don't know. You know, we can we can recap that separately. That's fine. Um, I, I wanted to I, – I, I agree with everything you guys said about Indiana. I think that the um, between both of the games this week, we were playing teams that were athletic but also a little bit smaller. Um and you know we that and that then it shows in who the best players are going to be on our team it's going to be the guards it's going to be brandon ingram and then emil jefferson who's going to ultimately be playing a lot of the center spot when we play smaller teams marshall Plumley's not going to be as effective against those guys uh, chase jeter didn't even get to play against indiana the only guys who came off the bench who played any any real minutes were Kennard and thornton and uh, it's good to see you know i think i think there have been a few games this season where we've seen Duke play well when they're playing big with Ingram staying at the three, Plumley getting a lot more minutes. He only played 20 minutes against Indiana and wasn't super effective. Uh, there are other games where he's going to be a lot more important and, and, you know, games where we're playing against bigger opponents. And we've had a couple of those already this year. So it, it's nice to see that the team could be versatile matching up with different types of teams. Cause you know, when we get to the tournament, we're going to be playing hopefully lots of games and they're going to be against different types of teams. So Jefferson, as you pointed out, Jason, was was ferocious on the glass. He he's, was able to score points in creative ways. And he doesn't need to do 
as many of those creative things, I think, when he's playing forward as a, or playing, he's playing power forward as opposed to playing center. Um, but he can handle playing center against a team that doesn't have a big bruising guy. So, you know, it won't work against North Carolina, but it'll work against a lot of other teams in the ACC and a lot of other competitive national teams. So I liked seeing the versatility. I think, I think we've highlighted the two guys who I thought were most important this week, which were Ingram and Jefferson. Uh, Ingram in particular, I was very happy to see him, you know, start to have his offensive game become more versatile. You know, we've known about his potential the whole time. He hasn't really come out yet. All of a sudden now he's able to hit his threes and like, he's going to be, he's going to be so special because he, if his three point shot is worth defending, then you're not going to be able to stop that guy. He's too big. He's got, you know, he's obviously not Kevin Durant, but he has a lot of the same qualities that Kevin Durant has where, you know, if the guy is just that big and that good of a shooter, you, you can't, you can't block him. Uh, and it's hard to stay in front of him because he moves really well. So we're finally seeing that show up. I think that at the beginning of the season, we cautioned people and had a lot of uh, writers and, and college basketball people were cautioning that Brandon Ingram might take a little bit more time than, you know, the Justice Winslows and Jabari Parkers of the last couple of years, those those big wings who have who have been so versatile right off the bat for Duke. Ingram might take a little bit more time, but he's going to get there and he's going to be that talented. And, and if it wasn't for Ben Simmons, who's just been killing it at LSU, uh, Ingram would probably be, you know, in line to be the top pick this this summer in the NBA draft. So uh, it was nice to see those things. I guess we can we can highlight Buffalo. Duke beat Buffalo, uh, eighty-two to fifty-nine. Hey, hey wait, wait, wait. If I can, really, really quick. There's oh, yeah, one sure. last thing I wanted to mention I, at I the end of that. I was going to meld the two because I thought the games were pretty similar um, and that there were kind of things you could see between them. But go ahead. I got no problem with that. I I, I just wanted to mention to folks if you didn't get a chance to check out the column by Greg Doyle. Um, uh, folks who will remember Greg Doyle, he, uh, he he used to write for the Charlotte Observer. He was then at CBS for many years. He's now at the Indy Star, um, the Indianapolis Star. Um, he wrote he wrote a, a, a sort of unauthorized biography of Coach K, and as a result, um, he and Coach K haven't uh, gotten along very well over the years. Um, and lots of Duke fans don't like Greg Doyle, but Greg Doyle wrote a great column this week, really worth checking out. It's mostly about Indiana. He Again, he writes for the Indy Star. Um, but, uh, but it, he wrote it in the wake of the, the game to Duke, and I just want to read you guys a couple lines from it that I think do a great job of summing up something really important about Duke basketball. He wrote, uh, the difference in this game, Duke has something that Indiana does not have. The Hoosiers, you see, sure would like to win, but the Blue Devils have to win, and that's the difference. Um he goes on to talk about effort and things like that in terms of defense and rebounding. But um, Greg Doyle identified that Duke has to win. And and that's so important to the way Coach K puts his teams together and and to the, the way Duke has succeeded year after year after year for 30-plus seasons now. Um, Coach K instills in these guys extra effort, extra willpower, um, and you saw that on display against Indiana. You'll see it many, many other times this year. But I thought Greg Doyle just, in those two sentences, Indiana sure would like to win. The Blue Devils have to win. Um, I, I really think that sums up nicely something that Duke has that other programs don't have. And, um, you know, a huge key reason why um, Coach K has won more games than anyone else. And we have five national titles and so on and so on. And that the that the home uh, non-conference winning streak has been extended to a large percentage of my lifetime at this point. Uh, and, and presumably for the rest of this season is going to maintain because Indiana is by far the toughest team we're going to play at home. And we beat them by 20 points and halfway through the second half, it, it wasn't even a competitive game anymore. The, uh, I think it's, it's interesting to point that out just because, you know, going into this game, the way that I believe Jason, you framed it last week on the show was, yeah, this is going to be a tough test for Duke. And like, this might be where the, where the non-conference home winning streak ends. And, and halfway through the second half, that, that sounded like a joke uh, that, yeah. that, that yeah. Duke was, was that strong um, and, and looked – I think this is this, their, their strongest game of the season. I don't think the defensive effort was quite at the level where Coach Game wants it, but to, to score 94 points on Indiana and to, to make it not competitive for a good chunk of the game was you – know, felt like Duke basketball from – you, you know, from when Shane Battier was playing Duke basketball, you remember we talked to him over the summer and we pointed out how few games he lost. You know, that's the kind of game that this felt like, uh, at, at least to me. I want to I want to transition and, and maybe add in the details about Buffalo. Um, so Duke beat Buffalo 82 to 59 on Saturday. Yeah, like I mentioned, it was during college football championship game. So I think a lot of folks were distracted. I actually forgot that the game was 
that was going to be happening until um, like like an hour or two before. I was like, oh right, Duke is, Duke's playing a basketball game today. I was I was wrapped up in watching the college football. Um, but I, I guess I'll, I'll throw it back to Donald. Was there anything you wanted to add about about Duke's victory over Buffalo? Um, this was obviously Bobby Hurley's old team, but he's not there anymore because he's now coaching at Arizona State. Yeah. So I I. I watched a little bit of the game and, you know, again, Ingram, I thought was really well. Grayson Allen didn't have a good game offensively, but he was able, one thing he was able to do was get to the line. He was 11 for 13 from the line. And I think that is what you want to see from him. Cause you know, he likes to drive the lane. He likes to get to the basket. But sometimes he gets to the basket and he is so creative that he's not getting the call or he's not drawing the, the contact. Uh, and this time he actually was re- – once he realized that he was not having as efficient of a game offensively, I think he was 5 for 15 uh, from the floor, he was still able to get to the line and, and make points that way. So it ended up being uh, a decent stat line. He also had 11 rebounds, which is uh, fantastic for him. But, uh, you know, I, I'd like to see it where he's not getting those rebounds. But I think that was more of a catalyst of Buffalo shooting a lot of threes and getting a lot of long rebounds, and he was able to – uh, box people out that way. So uh, I thought he, I thought he had a very interesting stat line in that regard. Yeah, it was, um, it was weird after the game because you know how the how Duke will put out on social media, you know, um, the infographics about the game and they'll highlight certain statistics and things. And the one, the first one that I saw at the end of the Buffalo game was like Grayson Allen scores whatever it was like twenty three points and has eleven rebounds. And I was like, oh no, that's not a good thing. You don't want <laughs> like it's right, right. The starting shooting guard is not supposed to have eleven rebounds. It's cool that he did. But it's definitely a weird thing to highlight. Yeah, it was a strange game in that regard. Um, I think that on Grayson Allen, especially in that game, you know, the final number says that he took 15 shots and scored 23 points, which is which is pretty good. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm not going to complain about that. It is it is frustrating that he has to miss so many shots and rely on the line to get to that number. But you know, point the the points count just the same. And JJ Redick will tell you that that getting to the line is very important, and it's going to. You know, it's one of the things that that made him such a such a great player. Duke and Grayson Allen has the ability to drive. He's so athletic. He uh, usually hangs onto the ball pretty well. So I'm fine with I'm fine with that happening. It can be frustrating, and it does make it tough because um, it means that the offensive attack isn't as reliant on passing as maybe it should be. But um, but it, you know, it, it worked. It, it worked in this game. Um, it worked fine for Grayson Allen in this game. He, he scored plenty of points. It just had to. They had to all come at the free throw line. And he's a he's a very good free throw shooter. So it, so that was good. Um, Jason, what did you want to add about Buffalo? Well, so uh, you point out about Grayson out the free throw line. Um, God, I can't believe he's still above ninety percent. That is just a. Uh, it's crazy how well he is shooting free throws. Um, and, and that he's getting the line as much as he is. Uh, you guys were dead on target that in a game where he was having trouble getting a shot to fall, he found other ways to be effective for us, which is, which is really important for the guy that is clearly our MVP. Um, you know, the Buffalo game, it was Duke's ninth game in 23 days, which is a lot. Um, the team was tired, you could tell. And, uh, and, and they now get 10 days off for... Um, for exams and, uh, you know, to really focus on their studies is, you know, before we get into the holiday break. And, and I think they need that, that 10 day break. <laughs> they, they, uh, they, they looked pretty exhausted today. You know, we only shot 40% from the field, which is the worst we've done all year. Um, we only hit five three pointers, which is the lowest total we have all year. Uh, you know, it didn't feel offensively like, didn't feel like the kind of effort you usually get from Duke. Effort is the wrong word. It didn't feel like the kind of performance. We, we were clearly showing the effort, but the performance wasn't necessarily there. You know, I want to talk about Brandon Ingram just for a moment. And seeing as we talked about, um, you know, Buffalo and Indiana, I want to combine those two games into one to talk about uh, what he did. Um, he scored more points um, in those two games this week than he did in his previous five games combined. Um, this is a guy who really looked outclassed, lost, and, um, you know, it seemed like he wasn't physically able to compete earlier in the season when we played Kentucky and then the two games in Madison Square Garden against Virginia Commonwealth and Georgetown. In those three games, Brandon Ingram was 5 of 20 from the field. That's just 25%. Um, Since then, 
The past four games, he's hit 54% of his shots from the field. Uh, He's clearly beginning to figure out what college basketball is all about and figure out how to use his skills to be a very, very effective ball player. He played 38 minutes against Buffalo. That's the most of anyone on the team. It's the first time this season he led the team in minutes played. Um, And like so many teams, you know, we've talked about the offense, and clearly that's where Ingram has really been improving, um, diversifying his offensive game, starting to be able to hit some outside shots. Um, But uh, to me, Buffalo looked completely clueless about how they would deal with our 1-3-1 zone with Brandon at the top of that zone. I don't know how a team practices to play against Brandon Ingram at the top of a 1-3-1. I guess you could maybe take one of your players on your scout team and and tie broomsticks to his arms and attempt to have him pretend to be a guy with a 7-3 wingspan. But, I, you know, I, I don't even think that would do it. Teams are just going to have trouble adjusting to dealing with a guy with his length when Duke plays a zone and forces you sort of to pass around it. Um, you know, Buffalo was lobbing the ball cross court in desperate attempts to keep it away from Brandon Ingram. Uh, and and uh, like I said, I, I don't think anyone we play is going to be comfortable playing against this guy. It, it, it's, you know, it's special to have him. It's been great to watch him progress. And, um, uh, you know, I think the Buffalo game, uh, Buffalo and Indiana, those are his two best games, and, and we have so much to look forward to. It's really it's really exciting. Um, uh, but, uh, you know, I, I wish the team well as they rest a little bit. I think the next 10 days of not playing a lot of basketball is going to be really good for them. I'm glad you brought up the, the 1-3-1 defense because I've noticed, obviously, we're playing it a lot this year, and I think that that's mostly due to the specific set of personnel that we have guys like Ingram and Jefferson who can handle being at the point of that, and that Matt Jones is so comfortable running the baseline in it. Do you guys, uh, I'm trying to think how to phrase this question. Do you guys find it troubling watching the one three one zone in that it's so much more, does it feel like it's a lot more active than the than the 2-3 like Syracuse zone that we played a little bit more last year? Do you, like it, it feels to me when, when I'm watching the one three one that it is much more about like trapping the guys way far away from the basket and inevitably like leaving shooters open, especially in the corners, but that you're just trying to put the ball to never get there. Um, and it, I think it makes it a lot more hectic to watch and a lot more nerve wracking. Does does that resonate with either of you? Yeah. So I mean, that's what the one three one zone does. Like in, in theory, like if you're you know when you play it back in middle school, high school ball, that's what it's supposed to be. It's supposed to make it a little more frantic on offense. It's supposed to make them uh, either go into a bad position or force a bad pass or a bad decision. Uh, and that's how you capitalize. Whereas the two three. We would do the two three in high school, and of course, this is you know night and day compared to you know college basketball. Uh, but in high school, you use a two three when you have a team that doesn't shoot the ball well from outside, and you kind of lull them into thinking that they have these areas that you can that they have open shots and kind of gimme them into you know into saying, oh yeah, take this shot that's wide open. When in actuality, you're just forcing uh, them into a bad spot. But the one three one is designed to draw the draw ball handlers and and passers into the wrong spot and passing into an angle that uh that's not there and and that's how you capitalize on that yeah i i, I like it um it's just it feels a lot I, like you said they're it, it, it's clear that they're meant for different purposes but right. it's just been interesting to watch especially because i don't think we played it anywhere near this aggressively ever before um and it seems like the team has really taken to it uh, and obviously we have the personnel for it. So that was just my note on the defense. I want to move. Um, we'll come back to basketball, I think, at the end for, for some other uh, some other notes. But I wanted to talk quickly about the other uh, Duke-Indiana game, the one that's coming up soon, which is the football team's game against Indiana in the Pinstripe Bowl. This is Duke's fourth consecutive bowl game. They're going to be playing in New York this year, having now finished the season with a win uh, against Wake Forest and and hoping that the Duke team can finally deliver their first bowl win in it's been too long. So uh, I guess I'll start with Jason. Uh, thoughts about the bowl game and the football team and and where they're going from here and their trip to New York. Well, I think it's really interesting that we ended up getting the pinstripe bowl. Um, as folks may have heard, um, there was a little bit of, you know, shenanigans, so to speak, behind the scenes to get this to happen because I think technically – Pittsburgh was supposed to go to a better bowl than Duke because Pitt had a better record than Duke in the ACC. And, um, uh, you know, usually the ACC 
you know, sort of forces bowls into different tiers and the different tiers are supposed to take different teams. And I'm doing all kinds of motions with my hands that you can't see because I'm on a, a phone call with you guys. But um, uh, it, it really, everyone sort of thought that the pinstripe was going to go to pit. And, and then at the last minute, uh, we started hearing this talk that the pinstripe really wanted Duke. And so the ACC pulled some strings and made some things happen and moved some things around. And suddenly, magically, Duke is playing in Yankee Stadium in the pinstripe bowl. Um, uh, can I point out how crazy insane it is to say that this, you know, important bowl game in the heart of New York City wanted Duke football? How about that? How far have we come? I mean, I think that's great. I'm really excited about that. Um, you know, we shouldn't be surprised anymore because, uh, you know, obviously the football team has been so successful, has drawn well in bowls, has really performed well in bowl games the past few years. But but I still, there's, you know, I've been a Duke football fan since I started attending the school back in the mid-1980s. And so for me, it's still kind of like, wow, they want Duke football. It's sort of amazing. Um, uh, you know, let me really quickly about Indiana. I think it's a, a, a it's a good, interesting opponent for us. Um, Duke, like I said, has this reputation for playing um, in uh, sort of exciting, good bowl games. And, and I think we'll get one again because Indiana is a very good offensive team. They've got a great um, quarterback, Nate Sudfeld, who will be playing in the NFL next year. I'm not saying he'll be a starter, but he'll be on an NFL roster next year. Um, and Indiana just scores a ton of points. But the other side of that is they give up a ton of points. I mean, this is a team that routinely gives up 30, 40, even 50 points in a game. Um, Indiana went 6-6 six and six this year. They had a couple close games, fairly competitive games against some good teams in the Big Ten, like Ohio State and Michigan. Um, but uh, I don't think they're that great an opponent. And um, I really like... Uh, I really like Duke's chances with Coach Cut getting a lot of time to prepare for an opponent. I mean, one of the reasons Duke has played so well in our bowl games, I think, you know, almost every one of which we've been a, a, an underdog in, um, has been because Cut does such a great job preparing for our opponents, figuring out what they do, figuring out how we can succeed against that. Um, and, and, and the last thing, you, you know, you mentioned, Sam, Duke versus Indiana. We played them in basketball. Now we're going to play them in football. Um uh, to some extent, Duke and Indiana are similar schools in that basketball is the driving force behind the athletic department. Everyone talks about basketball. Everyone associates the athletic program with basketball. Um, and Indiana, like Duke, is, Duke is sort of um, uh, just recently becoming decent at football. This is only their second bowl game since 1993. Um, so... Uh, while Duke is sitting here in our fourth consecutive bowl and we're really eager to get that win to get us over the top and, and begin winning bowl games, to some extent, I think Indiana's like, yay, we made a bowl game because they haven't done it in like a decade or so. Um, and and they may just be a little bit satisfied with making it to the game. Um, and I think that that sets up well for Duke um, because you know that our seniors, you know that Coach Cut, um, that all these guys who've been in games and had close, you know, gut-wrenching losses the past few years, they're ready to get over the top and, and get a win. Donald, what do you think about this game? I think it's going to be an interesting matchup. And, and you know, first of all, I'll start with the the actual selection of us by the pinstripe. You know, the pinstripe has been uh, one of those bowl games that in the last couple of weeks has been slated to have everybody. I mean, at first it was rumored that they wanted Pitt really bad. And then Miami was getting rumors that they, uh, once uh, Mark Richt was in the picture, that it would you know, Miami became a more marquee matchup for the pinstripe. And then in the last, really in the last couple of days, uh, it was reported that Kevin White was really pushing hard for us to be in the pinstripe bowl. And it ended up that we won out for a couple of reasons. One, the last, you know, three years we've been in the bowl game and we, I know, I know the first two years, we led the ACC in tickets sold um, as a block. We sold out our entire block uh, for the Belk Bowl back in uh, 2013. Uh, was it 2013? Yeah, 2013. And then uh, last year uh, at the, um, uh, I'm sorry, 2012. 2013 was the uh, Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl, and we sold out our block there. I was there. I was there. Yeah, I bought our tickets. I was, at, I was at both of those games. And then the Sun Bowl, I, I was, believe. Hey, was, I, was, I was there too, um, but we, none of us knew each other at that point. Right. This is, was and way before the three of us at the Peach Bowl? I was, yeah. I was at the Peach Bowl. I was at the Peach Bowl as well. Man, that was a great game. That was so much fun. Yeah, God, it, was, hard. I mean, it, was, I mean, it was terrible at the end, but it was a lot of fun during the game. My dad and I right. Excellent. Yeah, but like the, the Sun Bowl, we also, I, I don't know if we were first. I don't know the stats from last year, but if we weren't first, we were very, like, very close to leading the ACC again. That played everything into the Pinstripe Bowl for the second reason, and that 
we have such a large contingent of Duke fans, not just in New York City, but within a four-hour drive of New York City, that the Pinstripe Bowl all of a sudden was like, oh, not only do these people travel well, but most of them don't have to travel much, if any, at all, because they all live here. So I think that, in the end, is what got us the uh, Pinstripe Bowl, and I'm very happy for that. Um, and I think it's going to be a good matchup with Indiana. Like Jason, like you said, they are very good on offense. And, you know, at times during this year, you know, seeing a couple of the games, they are awful on defense at times. And while they like to keep games close, there are some times where their defense just will play them out of games and their offense really can't cover that. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how this matches up with our defense. You know, our defense has been very, very good for, for most of the year. Um, and, and I think that that will help us hopefully get our seniors that bowl game that they really the last thing that they that they have on their resume to to check off is a bowl game win. So hopefully that's this year. I think I, I saw there's a there's a few interesting things about this. The first being that I recall a couple of years ago, Coach Cutcliffe saying that it's great to go to a bowl game. It's nice to have the experience uh, and to get the extra game and for the seniors to have another opportunity to win. Um, but that one of the most important things is that the team gets an extra few weeks of practice that that operate you know as practice for the bowl game, but that also operate as the beginning of spring practice for next year. And so it's nice to be playing a a, a team like Indiana that is doesn't doesn't have all kinds of weird quirky stuff about their schemes, so that Duke can run a lot of sort of generic types of practices. I think that it's it helps the program that they'll get extra weeks to prepare against a team that doesn't have anything especially crazy about them. So that's one thing that I'm excited about for this opponent. I think that it's going to be very annoying to watch the game and have the announcers talk about basketball a lot because that's inevitable. Duke and Indiana obviously played this year in basketball and they're two of the most storied programs. I'm sure that I'm sure that we will see a picture of Coach K and Bobby Knight at some point during the game. And um, they're going to talk about the link of, of baseball too, seen as in Yankee Stadium. They're going oh, to yeah. play that and element all the way out as, if, as they've done in all the other pinstripe bowls. But I should point out that the Duke fans in New York, um, you have a great week in December going on. So you have one weekend where we have Utah and Madison Square Garden, and then the next weekend you get um, the football game against Indiana at Yankee Stadium. I encourage you to go to both games. Um, I uh, if you're you know if you're like a Giants or a Jets fan or something, I mean, come on, you're, those those football games aren't going to matter, uh, and they won't be as fun as this. So if you need to go to one cold weather football game this year. Um, ditch your MetLife Stadium tickets and go to Yankee Stadium instead. It's easier to get to, and uh, and you're gonna have a lot more fun. And you're gonna see Duke win their first bowl game in in you know, four years or something. Um, 1961. Yeah. Uh, oh God. So four, 54 years. Pretty. Long 1961. Time. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's gonna happen. We go good. Yeah. I couldn't. Yes. You, I couldn't see like relevant details from 1961 that like tie into Duke football. It's it's totally beyond me, but I'm excited for this game. I think that Indiana, a lot of a lot of writers sort of have treated Indiana this year as like the average team in the Big Ten, where all the good teams have, you know, Indiana has had interesting games against all the good teams, but they haven't beaten any of the very good teams in the Big Ten. And I think there were a lot of competitive teams in the Big Ten this season. And Duke kind of was the same way. Um, you know, we we look we got blown out by UNC, who I think has been a very strong team this year. They, they they came pretty close against Clemson to, to beating them. I mean, not that close, but they were they were running with Clemson in the ACC championship game. Um, but Duke they were, was they were, Hey, really quick. Carolina was lucky to be as in that game as they were. I mean, Clemson True. Clemson outgained them by like two hundred plus yards. Um, but, but they um, were. It, it's not like it's not like right. You know, hey, UNC props to them. Team. Right. Props to them because we would not have been anywhere close no, and, to Clemson. And they got robbed. Carolina, oh. you know, we haven't talked about that offsides call on that onside kick. That's one of there's, the worst calls I've seen. In, I, I don't even. Of, that's bizarre. There's a lot of competing information about what the call actually meant because there was something about the um, about the like vertical lines as opposed to the horizontal lines. They were out of the vertical lines when the whistle was blown. There's like there's too many rules in football. I think the, the problem is there are too many rules, but the officials don't actually have a grasp on what they all are. Um, but I think that when you look at Duke and Indiana's seasons as a whole, they mirror each other pretty well. So this would be a, a good team to say, like, you know, if we could beat that team, that that says something good about our season. I think it makes it look a little better. Um, we didn't get 
I think the last couple of years we've gotten really hard bowl opponents. Arizona State last year was like ranked 15 or so in the nation. When oh, we they were really good. Yeah. Uh, the year before that, we had Texas A&M and Johnny Manziel's last game. So uh, Duke has had really tough bowl opponents the last two years. I'm excited to, for us to be matched up against an opponent that I think is probably pretty similar to us in terms of talent and in terms of their like overall um, in terms of their overall resume, we've gotten there in very different ways. Indiana, as you guys mentioned, obviously having a very potent offense and not such a great defense. I think Duke is a pretty like the pretty much the opposite of that. So I don't I don't know which way this game is going to trend. I don't know if it's going to be a very high scoring game or if it's going to be a lower scoring game. I think it should be a competitive game, and I'd like to see Duke win it for you know a variety of reasons. But I'm glad that we ended up in the pinstripe bowl. I'm hoping that there's going to be a lot of Duke fans at the game. Because obviously we show up for for basketball games in in Madison Square Garden and in and in Brooklyn and in New Jersey. So hopefully football games in the Bronx have the same effect. And uh, and it's it's a good pick for Duke. Obviously you don't have to go to somewhere like El Paso or Shreveport or any of these places. So um, I'm I'm happy about that. Did you guys want to do you want to talk about the ACC championship game? Do you want to talk about the rest of college football? I'm I'm open to that. I think that there was a lot of there, I mean, the games were really interesting. Do we do we feel like it's necessary yeah. to get into it? I think the Duke was kind of removed from the national picture a few weeks ago. So um, we're forty yeah. minutes into the podcast. We haven't talked about winning in, uh, about the national championship game in soccer. Yeah. You know. All right, we can move on. That's fine. Are we good on football? <laughs> do you guys feel like we've covered football? We have. We will have an, at least one more episode before the football game. So if there are more thoughts that come up, I think we can talk more about that game as it gets closer. Does that sound fair? Yeah, that's good. All right. So um, I want to move, There's, as Jason highlighted or mentioned just now, there are a few other things we wanted to touch on before we say goodbye. Um, but let's do, uh, let's, let's do that quick shout out to women's soccer. I know that Donald was watching the game, um, so I'll, I'll throw it to you. Quick mention of the uh, Duke women's soccer team. They, they unfortunately lost today in the national championship against Penn State, one to nothing, or, or one nil, excuse me, if we're, if we're in soccer speak. Um, so, Donald, I know that you're the biggest soccer fan in this group and that you were watching the game because you were tweeting about it. Uh, so why don't you tell us your impressions of Duke from the, uh, from the, from the Penn State game today and, and sort of general thoughts about their season? Well, I, I think the, the, the game today was, was kind of back and forth. Uh, both teams started out really nervous. Of course they will. It's a national championship game with everything on the line. Um, so it was kind of t- tense, and, and the, the game was really tight for the first about five minutes of the game. And then it kind of opened up at times. It was kind of an ebb and flow. First, Duke had a lot of chances on offense, and then Penn State would counter with a lot of chance on offense. It was uh, nil-nil until about the about 15 minutes left in the game, which is when Penn State actually scored uh, on a kind of a counter. But uh, I think they, you know, the team played well. They they really they started pressing towards the end, and there's a couple of calls or no calls at the end that may have given them a couple of extra scoring chances on corner kicks um, that weren't called by the referees or, or, or went the other way. Um, but that's what, I mean, that's what it is. They, they played really well. They played tough all the way down to the end, and it's kind of heartbreaking for them to come up short. I know uh, this is the second time in, uh, since uh, we also went in 2011 and lost one nothing uh, back then. I believe it was to Stanford. So uh, this team really, really performed well. I, I think they actually... Uh, it's hard to say they outperformed um, because they've been pretty good all season. Uh, but they really outperformed uh, expectations in this tournament, uh, beating some great teams, including Florida State in the Final Four, who had not allowed a goal uh, since the 2013 title game. So uh, hats off to them. Hats off to Duke women's soccer. They really uh, made believers out of a lot of people. And, and I know the crowd was really, really, uh, really rooting for them today as they have been all season. Um, it was a great crowd uh, out in Cary, um, and I think that really helped them. But in the end, they just fell just short, and, and hopefully next year they'll be right back in the t- swing of things. Jason, anything to add? Um, I, you know, I, I didn't get to see the game. Um, I, I am sorry for that uh, because I do love a good soccer game. Um, I, my only comment is anytime I think about NCAA soccer and national championships, and especially anytime I see a game that is one to nothing, um, it takes me back in my heart to 1986. Um, I was at Duke. I was a freshman in 1986 when we beat Akron, the Akron Zips, one to zip. Um, and uh, and Duke won. We had a huge bonfire on Main West. It was my first bonfire when I was at Duke. Um, tons of fun. We burned at least three or four or five benches. Um, 
this was Duke's first national title in any sport. Um, since we've won five in men's basketball, we've won six in women's golf, we've won three in lacrosse, we've won one in women's tennis. But that soccer team started it all, and I really, really had hoped that we were going to add women's soccer uh, to the ranks of the of the national titles for for Duke athletics. Um, but you know, great effort on their part. Um, from everything I hear, the team is in great shape and and has chances to to you know maybe duplicate and and do even better in coming years. Um, so so that that's my thing about soccer. And I apologize for not saying more about the women's soccer team. But you mentioned Duke soccer, and I can't help but think back to uh, 1986 um, and the first national title in Duke history. And I have nothing to add uh, except that I I did also watch the game and was generally impressed with Duke but that it was disappointing that we fell short. Uh, the one positive personally that came out of it is that uh, I had to buy a secret Santa gift this year for a uh, friend of mine who went to Penn State, so I can buy him a women's soccer national championship shirt, and then he can't complain about it because we were texting about the game earlier today. And uh, and I asked him, like, right before, uh, right before Penn State scored the one goal, I, I was like, do we have a bet on this game? I, I don't know if... I don't know if we're going to do anything, and then and then Penn State scored, and I was like, you know what? Never mind. I'm good. Um, so yeah, <laughs> very so once again, very smart. Um, man. Yeah, exactly. He was like, excellent timing. <laughs> is your feed behind? And I was like, yeah, no, it is. Um, uh, but once again, hats off to the women's soccer team for for a, a great season. Hopefully, there are more of those to come. I want to now move. I know that a couple of us have interesting stories from this week from bas- from watching basketball. Um, I will start with Jason. Jason, would you like to share your story? Oh my God. Um, so uh, anyone who's Facebook friends with me will know about this, but um, I'll share with the whole world because that's just the kind of guy I am. So uh, during the uh, Indiana game, during the second half of the game, I began having um, tremendous pains in my belly. And um, I actually ended up, my wife ended up rushing me to the hospital um, where uh, I spent um, a good two or three hours in the worst agony of my life um, as I was passing a kidney stone. Folks, folks, I do not recommend doing this. Do not ever, do not ever do this yourself. Um, So I I ended up watching the second half of the Indiana game through gritted teeth and um, with sweat pouring down my brow uh, because I was in the worst pain ever i mean ever i I have there are two women friends i have who have given birth one swears that kidney stones are worse than giving birth the other says that it's about the same so i gave birth to a kidney stone this week guys you don't want to do this you just don't want to do this so that's my i feel great that's the because that's the crazy thing about it that's the insanity of it um it was it was the worst pain I, I, you know to say it was the worst pain of my life while it was going on and literally it, it ended and uh, within 20 minutes i was fine i mean i was i i was 100% okay and i've been 100% okay since then it's the strangest little thing and and actually if it ever happens to me again it probably won't be nearly as bad cuz i'll know what's going on one of the problems i had was that by the time the hospital diagnosed and said yes you you've got a kidney stone i'd already you know it was already done so I, I at that point i sort of knew what had happened but while it was going on i thought that i was you know i thought that something i thought that an alien was trying to climb out of my belly or something like that and i was afraid i was going to die um, mm, but i survived Jason, I have bad news for you. Duke played excellently in the second half against Indiana. So, well, I I, could, I watched uh, it. It was just I, I I didn't get to watch it and enjoy it the way I usually would well, enjoy listen, it, something if, like that. If we're gonna if we're gonna maintain the karma here, um, you're gonna need to start drinking a lot more milk and uh, hoping that this happens more often. <laughs> oh, no, no. Hey, or we'll have to come up with some other way for us to uh, for us to jinx the team to victory. Yes, I love Duke basketball, but if you said to me, you can pass another kidney stone and Duke could win another national title, I I would say no. That's how bad it was. I would say no. <laughs> oh, man. All right. Well, um, that's, uh, that's really unfortunate. I'm going uh, to tell my story now uh, because I referenced it to you guys in our, in our planning email. Your story is way better than mine. Yeah. So on, um, on Tuesday – during the ACC or yeah, during the ACC Big Ten Challenge, a friend of mine, uh, a girl who I went to high school with, who lives out here in Denver, uh, who went to Maryland, she posted on Facebook. She was like, "I'm going to this bar in Denver um, 
to watch the Maryland game. If anyone wants to come, like if there are any other like fellow Terps in Denver who want to come watch the game with me, like come to the bar tonight. And I, I messaged her and said, uh, you know, I'm not a Maryland fan, but I do like rooting against UNC. Is it okay if I show up? And she was like, yeah, yeah, yeah that's fine. I, you know, whatever. Um, and I got the impression sort of going in that she wasn't much of a fan because she was like, oh, yeah, sure, Duke fan, come watch the basketball game with me. It turns out that this girl is like the most intense Maryland basketball fan. And at the same time, she's in the in the great minority of Maryland basketball fans who like appreciate Coach K and Duke and was really sad to leave the ACC and, and all of those other things. So it was actually extremely enjoyable. I've never enjoyed um, watching Maryland UNC games before until this one. I found it very natural to root for Maryland because they have Rashid Suleiman and they were playing in the Dean Dome and wearing black uniforms, which I've, you know, I've rooted for that team a, a few times before in my life. So uh, it was, but it turned out, it turned out that it was just me and her and none of her other friends showed up. So I, uh, I watched the Maryland UNC game in a very, very pro Maryland atmosphere that was just coming from one person at one point during the game, uh, something good happened to Maryland and she got so excited that she like punched me in the arm. Um, it was really intense. I've never, like I said, I've never enjoyed rooting for Maryland um, in any sort of way until this week. So uh, it was a bummer that they lost because uh, I hate seeing Carolina win, especially now that we know that they've been cheating for such a long time. But uh, it was it was interesting nonetheless. It was it was cool to uh, you know I think that a lot of my college basketball interaction happens on the DVR, so I get the Duke perspective on things, and I think that we're pretty welcoming to opposing fans, but that. Even even when they're around, they're still like a very like, okay, you got to tread lightly. There's some things you can't say. Uh, and that's the way it is, I think, on any forum. I think that we're more accepting than other forums of that sort of differing opinions, but that there are still Definitely. some topics that it's just like, and, and the three of us are moderators. So we know that there are some things it's like, once you start saying those things, we know exactly who's going to jump in and, and, and crush you for it, even if it might be a legitimate thing to point out. Um, so it was it was interesting being like watching the game and talking about the game with someone who is such an intense fan of a program that none of us like um, and who had a lot of like thoughtful things to say and wasn't just dismissive of everything. So uh, I had a, I had a pretty interesting uh, basketball experience uh, watching with this girl on Tuesday. Do you guys hey, want to know? Can I, can I yeah, ask, is, is she a prospect? Um, I, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Um, it, it, I, I, when I realized that's that too personal, just, is that too personal for the podcast? When, when I realized that there were only going to be two of us watching the game, I was like, "Oh, this is interesting." Um, but uh, I, I don't know. Um, she, uh, th this seems weird to say. She might be too much of a sports fan um, to, to be a prospect. What? Uh, I have, wow. I have so one of my one of my very best friends in the whole world is a girl that I went to summer camp with, who is an enormous sports fan, and. Um, We've been like very best friends for a, a very long time, and it's never occurred to me that, that I would be like interested in her. Uh, and part of it is just that like I like to call her and and curse about sports to her on the phone. Um, so we keep it PC here, but I I do all of my uh, profanity laden uh, rants about sports generally on the phone to this girl. So um, it was it was weird to like be enjoying the company of somebody who was such a big sports fan, and I was like, oh. So I, I don't know. The answer is I don't know. Um, uh, and I don't know how much more personal I need to get with you guys on the podcast. But uh, <laughs> you want to, like, is there anything else you're curious about? Because watching a basketball game with a Maryland fan, I realize is a foreign concept for many of you. I mean, look, if that happened in D.C., it wouldn't have gone down as smoothly as it did with you. Let me let no. me tell you. <laughs> and, and, well, it's, it's, it's funny. I, I mentioned this to her. Um, I run the uh, I run the hoops watches for the for the Duke Colorado Club. And a few years ago, the Maryland club got in touch with us when Maryland was still in the ACC. And they offered, you know, and obviously at the time, Maryland and Duke were having home and home uh, every year in the ACC. And the Maryland club offered us, they were like, hey, you should come to our bar to watch the game when it's at the uh, Xfinity Center or whatever it's called. And then we'll go to your bar to watch the game at Cameron. And we'll, you know, we'll do like the joint watch party. And, and my response was like, it sounds like a great idea and I would love for it to work. I'm really concerned that it would turn ugly, especially if there's a lot of people like drinking and sharing their true feelings about each other's programs. Um, because I get, I know I get pretty heated about it and I'm like, I'm usually good at containing my emotions, but like in, in the middle of a game, I can, I can get pretty, uh, pretty rowdy. 
So I, I told him, I was like, I, I would love to, I would love to, but I'm going to turn it down because I, I really do think it's going to just not be a good thing um, for us. And I was telling her this and she was like, yeah, you probably did the right thing. <laughs> um, so uh, yeah, that, that part of it was weird. You, you actually remind me of a, of a, a cool story from uh, the tournament last year. Um, the game we were playing Utah was right, like maybe it's supposed to start maybe uh, 10 minutes before, or I'm sorry, 10 minutes after uh, Maryland was playing um, in the tournament. And for some reason, the Maryland game started late, so it overlapped by about 30 minutes. And so, of course, we get to our bar in D.C., and it's full of Maryland fans, and they're all watching the game. And so I went up to one of them and said, hey, you know, we, we need you guys to start clearing the space out because the Duke game's coming on in 10 minutes. And they said, well, the Maryland game's on, and this is uh, a Maryland bar. And I was like, I don't think you understand what's about to happen here. So I went to the bartender, or the, the, the manager, and she just gave me the remote control because at this point I, I pretty much live at the Duke bar um, for soccer and basketball. So they just gave me the remote control and said, go ahead and change all the TVs. And let me tell you, there is no greater power than having the remote control to change the channel from a Maryland game to a Duke game at a bar in D.C. The number of people who turned around and was like, what is going on and why is my game being changed to the Duke game? And then they see me holding this remote control, waving it in the air saying, I don't think you understand where you are. This is the Duke bar. You need to get out. Was probably the greatest moment in the last year. It might have been equal to actually winning the national championship, telling 300 Maryland fans that their, that their basketball game was no longer being showed in this area. It's oh, awesome. Like, that's, really, that's actually really incredible. I love that story. <laughs> what was that, Jason? I said, that was epic. I mean, that is, that is real. That's, that's first rate, Donald. Props. I mean, you're, yeah. you're, you're kind of a terrible person, but. I don't know. You know at, that, at that point, I didn't care. I was just trying to see my game. But you know what? 300 people were, were happy that I did it. So yeah, that's win and lose. Your, your hoops watches are much better attended than ours are. I, that might be <laughs> due to the relative sizes of the Duke fan base in Washington versus Denver. Right. Um, but hey, hey, we'll, hey, have hey, to, hey. we'll have to compare notes about, about how to get good attendance at, at those things because you seem to have it and we don't. Anyway, Jason, what were you saying? I was going to say, as long as you brought up the Big Ten ACC challenge um, and, and if there's anyone still listening who hasn't, like said, what are these guys talking about? They're not talking about basketball anymore. <laughs> um, uh, I, I want to bring us back just really quickly to, to one note I had from the challenge. Um, I'm not sure if you guys saw, I posted this on the board. Duke's record in the challenge is like amazing. It's ridiculous. like ridiculous. Mm -hmm. It's absurd. For folks who didn't see what I wrote on the board, Duke is 15 and two in the Big Ten ACC challenge. 15 and two. And, and let's be clear. Every year, Duke is playing one of the top three teams in the Big Ten. This is not 15-2 and two against just another BCS conference, which, which would be impressive on its own. You could play middle-tier, lower-tier BCS conference teams. If you go 15-2, and two, that's a heck of a great record. I mean, that's, this is 15-2 and two against nothing but – I mean, we all, the only teams we play is like Indiana, Michigan, Michigan State, Ohio State. The top teams in the Big Ten every year, year after year after year – and we're fifteen and two. It's just crazy. I think uh, and one of the go, one of the go ahead. I, that's all. That's all I got. But it's like was, it's amazing. I was going to say included with that stat, it was something that was the most incredible part of that stat is of the fifteen wins that we have. I think it was twelve come against top fifteen opponents, yeah. and that is more than any other team has wins in the Big Ten ACC Challenge. Yeah, yeah, right. The the next best team in the Big Ten ACC Challenge is Wake, who is eleven and four. Right, um, and, and we have twelve get, wins against top fifteen teams. And Wake, yeah. Wake gets gets Nebraska and and yeah. Purdue. They get and, Nebraska, Penn State, uh, not yeah. Purdue. They get Nebraska, Nebraska, yeah. Penn State, and Northwestern almost every year. And, and Iowa. And eleven and four. Hey, great. I mean, I'm thrilled that Wake's doing that. They're holding up their end of the bargain for the ACC, and they're helping the conference out. And yay, props for them. But Duke's fifteen and two against the best the Big Ten has to offer. It's just yeah. it's crazy. And and one of those two losses, I, I, I believe one of them's against is one of them against Michigan, but one of them's against Wisconsin in the year when we won the national championship. Right. Uh, yep. In two thousand ten. Yep. Those are so, the two. Maryland and uh, I'm sorry, Wisconsin and Michigan. Wisconsin. And the yep. Michigan one was also pretty recent, wasn't it? I think that was a couple I think that was uh it was a little bit further back, ago? I think. Yeah. 
Oh, okay. Um, uh, I, oh, hey, by the way, you mentioned Maryland. When I was looking up the records of teams in the in the challenge, Maryland was ten and five when they were in the ACC, which is really really good. They were ten and five in the challenge. They're zero and two since they joined the Big Ten. Ha. Well, I'm okay with that. Yep. So am I. <laughs> Um, I wanted to, I think we, I think we're done with, uh, with all the stuff we needed to talk about. I wanted to wrap by bringing back a segment that we haven't done yet this year, but that we did last year. And that, uh, I know that we particularly like doing, which is player of the week. So I'm going to start with Donald, uh, give us your player of the week for Duke basketball, uh, for the Indiana and Buffalo games. Uh, there are, you know, there's obviously a couple players that, uh, deserve recognition, but I'm going with Brandon Ingram. Uh, the man is finally shown up and really, played well and, and had his two best games of the season so far, uh, 24 points against uh, Indiana and 23 against Buffalo. Um, the, the kid is starting to click, and, and I think it's coming at an opportune time. Um, you know, if we can get him going right after the finals break um, in the same fashion when we play Utah and kind of steer that into ACC season, I think we're a much better team. So I, I, I'm going with Andrew. Okay. Uh, and Jason, who do you want to pick? Uh, Brandon Ingram is a wonderful, wonderful choice, and he clearly had his two best games of the year, and I think there are going to be many other chances that we will have to to pick Brandon Ingram as player of the week, so I'm going with someone different. I'm going with Emil Jefferson. I thought Jefferson had a fabulous week. Um, uh, you know, his the effort that he's bringing on defense, on rebounding, um, is, is so, so, so impressive. I mentioned against Indiana where he, you know, sort of almost came close to having a triple-double because he was getting all the assists as, as well as the rebounds and the points. Um, I thought against Buffalo there, you know, not that the game was in doubt, but there were a couple times where you were like, yeah, you know, Duke kind of needs a bucket here. We, we did not play as well on offense as we typically do. And, um, and we went inside to Jefferson early in the second half a few times. And, you know, I mean, it seems sort of silly to say, hey, inside of five feet, he's unstoppable. But that's not as easy to, you know, to succeed at as, as it may sound. And it's a big deal to be, you know, borderline unstoppable inside of five feet. When, when uh, sorry, when Emil Jefferson gets the ball down close to the basket, he is so good with either hand at, at doing, using his long arms and, and getting those little, you know, just bank it off the backboard and put it on in there. Um, and I'll also point out the thing he has struggled at. I'll ask you guys, what is the one thing that he doesn't do well? Shoot free throws. Come on, guys. He doesn't free throws. Shoot. He's a terrible free throw shooter. You should know this. So this week... Emil Jason, Jefferson. We're not, Jason, we're not experts. We're just idiots on the internet. Right. <laughs> this week, Emil Jefferson was five of six on free throws. So he even shot his free throws well this week. So props to Emil Jefferson. He is my player of the week. I was, uh, before we came on, I was looking up. I was trying to figure out who I was going to pick. And I was like, it's probably obvious to pick Brandon Ingram. I'll go with Emil Jefferson because I think he was sort of underrated, uh, like awesome this week. And you guys picked both of them. So I will just um, highlight uh, once again that. Ingram, you know, as, as we mentioned in, in recapping the games, was – so I, I'm sorry. I, I'll go with Brandon Ingram, but I wanted to talk about both of them. Ingram in both of the games this week was phenomenal, um, is finally showing the potential that we all heard about early, you know, before the season and last year when he committed, uh, or I guess, in, you know, in the spring. Um, he's, he's becoming an integral part of the team, and I think that when we were doing predictions at the beginning of the year, we – we mentioned Brandon Ingram a lot because we think he's going to play a lot of minutes. He's going to score a lot of points. He's he's going to be integral on defense because of his length and his and his athleticism. So it, that was great to see. It's it's amazing how well he was scoring the ball this week. Like it was like all of a sudden. Um, and on that front, Duke is now up to number one in the Ken Palm adjusted offensive rating, and they're much higher than, than even the second place team. So and a lot of that is probably due to how well Ingram was playing this week because he was so efficient with the ball and start scoring the basketball. And then for Emil Jefferson, as Jason pointed out, you know, he's, he's been doing a lot of little things well. And when Duke needs it, he's been able to capitalize. Um, his offensive game has become much more versatile. He, he has, it seems like he has a lot of like Jabari, or not Jabari Parker, Jaleel Okafor's moves around the basket. You know, he's able to like to, to fake and go in different directions. Um, he's able to pivot in interesting ways. And, and, you know, teams are going to, are going to game plan for Brandon Ingram and Grayson Allen. And Emil Jefferson is going to keep being able to score those points because it's going to be too hard to like game plan around the, um, around the like cleanup center that Duke is playing. And as I also mentioned early in the show that uh, against smaller teams, Emil Jefferson has turned into a very high quality center. You know, if we're going to be playing a game against a, a, 
like a, a spaced out small team. Uh, Emil Jefferson is going to, he's going to clean up the glass against smaller players and he's able to defend almost every position if you're playing a small team. So uh, he's, he's become very integral and had, and had a great week this week, obviously in a lot of, a lot of different ways on the stat sheet and also in ways that we could just see on the court where he's providing that leadership and he's providing uh, he's very vocal with the rest of the team. It's clear that, that, you know, he's not the most talented player on this team, but it's become his team in a lot of the ways I think that Quinn Cook was like was the leader of last year's team, even though he was overshadowed, you know, talent wise. I mean, he had a great season. Um, he was he was arguably Duke's MVP, but you know, on the on the highlight reel was overshadowed by the other by the younger guys in the team. And Emil Jefferson's kind of the same way. And this has turned into his team. And I think as the year goes on, you're gonna hear more about um about how integral Jefferson was in like bringing the team together and having an identity all those sorts of things. I think he's, he's living up to being a Duke senior in the best possible way. So uh, those guys both deserve the, the credit this weekend and we'll see what's coming up. So Duke's got, uh, he's got a few days off in basketball and obviously in football, they have a, a couple weeks before the, for the bowl game. So um, we'll check back with you sometime soon. Not sure when that's going to be, but um, there's a lot of interesting things to talk about. I think next episode we'll, we'll go back and check out our predictions. I we're, we're running long on time tonight, so I don't think it's worth it tonight. But we'll uh, we'll go back and look at our predictions from the beginning of the season, see how we feel about them, and 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 what we think going forward. Now that we've had time to digest sort of the first section of the season, we get into the period now where Duke has a couple interesting games, um, particularly the one uh, against Utah coming up in Madison Square Garden. But a lot of the like pre-ACC not so good opponents. So there's some time for Duke to tune up before the ACC season starts, and the ACC has looked pretty good at the top this season. Um, UNC was obviously strong in, in taking out Maryland the other night. Um, so we'll see how that happens. Is there anything else that you guys wanted to bring up before we say goodbye for this episode? Um, Donald? Yeah, so I just want to uh, quickly highlight, I, uh, this was news that came out, I guess it was yesterday, um, that the running back from Pittsburgh, James Conner, uh, announced that he had been diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma. Um, I just want to send my best to him. Um, he's one of the you know, players in college football that I respect the most. Um, he has been great on the field for Pittsburgh. He's been uh, just as great uh, off the field. And, you know, he's been hurt the entire season. As you call, recall, he uh, uh, hurt his knee in the f- season opener and has not played the rest of the season. But uh, uh, just uh, it seems like it's been a really tough fall for him. And, and this is uh, only going to uh, uh, make him stronger, I think. So, I, you know, all the best uh, to him in his recovery. Uh, and his treatment, and uh, I, I know he's got a lot of respect, uh, not just from uh, from Duke, but all around uh, college football uh, circles. So, uh, best of luck to you, James Conner, and 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 happy and, and good luck. Um, just to add that uh, lymphoma is is really really awful, um, and that as you say, James Conner is a seems like a great kid and is a very talented football player. So, um, the, uh, just to echo that, the best of luck to him in, in beating that horrible disease. Uh, sorry, Jason, go ahead. Um, I, by the way, I, I agree with you guys, and I was really sad to hear the news about about Connor and and you know I really uh, again I, I echo what you guys said. It, it'd be it'd be wonderful to to read the stories, and I'm sure we will read them sometime soon about him um, defeating the uh, the beast that is cancer. Um, I was going to say my parting shot is also about football. Um, guys, we were dead wrong. Uh, a week ago when we were talking, we uh, we pretty much agreed that Larry the Hat Fedora was going to leave UNC, that there was like no way he could possibly stick around um, in the face of uh, what surely will be crippling sanctions. Um, and, and with him having such a such a great year at Carolina um, and so many, you know, primetime openings being available out there. Well, the openings all kind of closed. Um, because Georgia knows who they want, Miami knows who they want, South Carolina seems to know who they want, um, USC knows who they want, and Larry Fedora ended up ended up re-upping at UNC. He he signed a contract extension for seven years, three million dollars a season, which is um, quite a raise. I think it's almost double the money that he was getting under his old deal. Um, uh, and and so he's going to be at Carolina for for a while to come. Um, I know there are some people out there, some Carolina fans. Um, I'm sure there are plenty of Carolina fans who listen to the podcast. No, not really. But I, I know there are some Carolina fans out there who see this as yet another sign that the uh, Carolina that Carolina will not be hit with harsh sanctions. That there's no way Fedora would have stuck around. There's no way he would have signed a, a deal like this um, to to coach a team that is going to undergo um, 
some pretty bad sanctions and they see this as a sign that they're going to get off scot-free um and i think you're wrong you're wrong you're wrong you're wrong um i think the fact that he signed a seven-year deal is something that designed to give him plenty of time to repair the carolina program um and he's also getting himself a lifetime of security i mean 21 million dollars is a pretty good chunk of change um so i think uh i think he, he took this deal because there weren't other great deals out there for him, uh, weren't other great programs available. Um, I don't think that this is a sign that Carolina is going to get off scot-free. I still think the NCAA is going to um, hit their football, their basketball, um, and probably a few other programs with some pretty harsh sanctions. But I wanted to point out because um, we we always tout our, we always tout ourselves and toot our horns when we are right that we were wrong. Larry Fedora has decided to stick around at Carolina. The I think Larry Fedora staying at Carolina and then the hires that Virginia Tech and Miami made in uh, Justin Fuentes and, and Mark Richt, who was who left Georgia, make the Coastal Division a lot more competitive. I think that Virginia Tech and Miami are both going to see positive uh, positive trajection, uh, trajectory from the two new coaches that they hired. So the Coastal Division is getting tough. The non-conference schedule for Duke after, uh, starting this year gets tough. The um, you know, we start seeing Notre Dame and, and Baylor on the schedule uh, from time to time. So the, you know, I think that the, it's time for, for Duke fans to see the training wheels come off as far as the expectations for this football program. Um, you know, David Cutcliffe has a much, you know, he had a very hard job the last few years in getting the program to where it is now, where they feel like they can win every game and that the losses really hurt. I think that the games are going to get a lot tougher now. Um, because the coastal division is, is going to be very strong with with all these good coaches and, and you know maybe count Fedora as like another new coach because we expected him to leave and you kind of you kind of expect a program like Carolina to you know lapse back when they have to hire a new coach and you know it, it sort of ebbs and flows for them. Um, Fedora and you got and you got Bronco, Bronco Rent Mendenhall that just signed at uh, UVA oh, right. and Dino Babbers at Syracuse. So yeah. really, the ACC is now the uh, the all coaches conference. Yeah, so it, it's. Things are going to get a lot harder for Duke football here. Um, I hope that Duke fans continue to appreciate the, the really great job that David Cutcliffe has done. But yeah, as you point out, Jason, we were wrong about that, and uh, I am I'm curious to see how how the division shapes up the next few years because there are a lot of interesting programs uh, in the Coastal Division and in the ACC. Yeah, we've got some we've got some seasons coming up where winning seven or eight games will be just as hard and just as surprising and just as successful as the season where two years ago where we won ten games. Right. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, certainly. And, and, you know, it was tough for Duke fans, I think, this year because we thought that eight or nine or ten wins was was in play for us and ended up with seven. And it was it felt like a very disappointing seven. So, um, well, we, we really want we won eight. Hey, oh, I know. we did. That's true. You're right. We won it. We won eight and we're about to win nine when we win that bowl game. Right. You're right. You're right. As always, Jason Evans, you're right. And as always, we are the Duke Basketball Report podcast. So for Donald Wine, for Jason Evans, I'm Sam Klein. We will speak with you again soon. Duke Van, take us home.